The Linux Reality Podcast is sponsored by O'Reilly Media, spreading the knowledge of innovators through its books, online services, magazines, and conferences. Visit them today at O'Reilly.com. Welcome back to Linux Reality. My name is Chess Griffin, and this is episode number 70. In this episode, we are going to talk about another one of my favorite Linux distributions, Arch Linux. I've mentioned it several times in the past, and I haven't really given it the proper love I think it deserves. <laughs> so uh, I did want to talk about it because I think it's a really great uh, Linux distribution. It has a, a lot of things going for it. And even though, uh, you know, it's often considered sort of an advanced uh, distribution. I really think I really think that many people can use it. I think it's easier to use than, than some people think. It's sort of like Slackware. I think that uh, Slackware has, has had sort of a, you know, people think that it's hard to use, and I really don't think it is. And I, So anyway, I wanted to talk about Arch Linux because I think it's a, it's a great distribution. It's one of the two distributions I use every single day at home uh, on my regular workstations, and I've used it for several years, so I feel like I know it pretty well. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about. First, though, I wanted to mention again, of course, thanks to the O'Reilly folks, and just to remind everyone about that discount code, which is RLEL40, which is on the Linux Reality homepage. That's for 40% off your purchases. Someone emailed me and said that that was not good from Europe, so that's very disappointing. I'll have to shoot them an email and see if I can't get them to you know, make it so it works for everybody. Um, but uh, I do appreciate everyone uh, showing them some po- some some uh, some support <laughs> for supporting this podcast. Also, um, I've received a lot of email lately for some reason regarding Slackware, which is great because I mean it shows that a lot of people are testing it out and trying it out. But a lot of people have emailed me personally with questions on how to do this and that, and I I apologize. I just I haven't had a chance to respond, and and it's very hard for me to respond to sort of support type emails. I will I try, but. I, I would recommend uh, very strongly that anybody who's using Slackware to, uh, well, of course, you can post in the Linux Reality forums, but you can also, I would try the official Slackware forums at linuxquestions.org. Uh, there's a section, uh, there's a subform there for Slackware, and that is the official support form. And a lot of very well-known, very experienced Slackware users hang out there. Um, and so anyway, if you have questions, I definitely encourage you to post there. You'll get excellent responses. Uh, so uh, that's really much. Uh, that's pretty much all the introduction stuff I had. So let's talk about Arch Linux. Okay, Arch Linux. Uh, Arch Linux has been around since two thousand one, two thousand two. Uh, its uh, uh, main creator, its original creator, is a guy named Judd Vinay. He's from Canada, and there's a great interview with him from the Linux Link Tech Show of about a year and a half ago, I think January of 2006. Very, very cool interview. Uh, he seems like a really cool guy. And uh, But it's, uh, it's originally uh, based on Crux Linux. Uh, a lot of people think it's based on Slackware, but that's not the case, although it has some similarities. But it is based on Crux Linux originally. I think it's probably deviated quite a bit from that at, at you know at this point. 
Um, but they describe it as a 686 optimized uh, Linux distribution, uh, meaning it's really intended to run on newer hardware. It won't run on, um, on well, I think there's an unofficial PPC port, and uh, there is a 64-bit version, I believe, an official version for 64-bit as, as well. Uh, but the nice thing about Arch Linux is, although it takes a fair amount of manual configuration, uh, once you're over that hurdle... Uh, it really does a fantastic job of giving you a very lean, fast, light system that you can then customize into whatever you want. And they also do an excellent, excellent job of of upgrading from one version to the next. Really, the way Arch Linux works is sort of on a rolling release cycle. You know, most distributions have sort of fixed releases like Ubuntu, for example, Dapper Drake, Edgy, you know, Feisty, all that. Uh, Slackware as well. Most distributions are like that. They have a set release, and you know there may be some packages updated for that particular release, or there may be you know security updates or whatever. But generally speaking, that's a set release, and then however long later they'll they'll issue a new release. Well, Arch Linux is a little bit different. I mean, they have sort of set release ISO images, but really those are almost like snapshots of sort of the package tree at any given time. They've recently changed the way they, they name and, and sort of do their release numbers and that kind of thing, so I won't really get into that. But uh, they do have they do release ISO images you know, periodically, and I think it's going to be more frequent now uh, with new kernel updates and things like that. But uh, mostly what you're going to be looking for is, is you know, sort of the base ISO, and I'll talk about the install here in a minute, but most of this is done sort of over the internet. So it, you know, it does kind of require you to have broadband connection uh, because for the most part, you're going to be downloading a lot of packages and, and, you know, the bulk of the system is going to be downloaded after installation. I mean, you know, for the most part. Um, but, you know, the nice thing about it is once it's, like I said, once it's set up, it, it, you know, you can upgrade versions, and it's not really upgrading versions, it's just completely upgrading your system from time to time whenever you want. I remember first trying Arch Linux, gosh, probably 2003, 2004 time frame, I mean, when it was, you know, still kind of early on, and it was pretty, I don't want to say unstable, but it, things broke fairly frequently in, during upgrades. It just wasn't very smooth, and I mean, I was always able to figure out those problems and get them fixed, but it would tend to break your system occasionally. Now, however, those guys have just done an amazing job with the stability of the system. And I've got one machine that has had Arch on it for, gosh, at least two years, if not longer, if not two and a half to maybe even three. I don't remember, but uh, it's never had a reinstall. And it's just been upgraded all the way. And it's now got, obviously, the most current versions of everything I've got. It's got current GNOME, KDE, Xorg, you know, current kernels. I mean, all the, of course, all the other miscellaneous packages here and everything upgraded. Very minor issues from time to time. I, me I remember there was an Xorg issue at one point. And there's been, there were some changes to the way the kernel is done uh, that I won't really get into. That was an issue maybe a year ago or so. But, you know, reading some documentation on their website and the wiki and reading in the forums quickly resolved those problems because everybody was having the same problems. And there were easy fixes, and I was able to get past those and move right on. Uh, so, but since then, since for the last year, year and a half, it's just been smooth. I mean, it's been great upgrades all the way without any problems. Um, so, 
you know, how to install Arch Linux and just some kind of tips and tricks. First of all, check out their website, archlinux.org. They've got a very good wiki uh, with some there, – There's and on the main page, there's a link to the official installation document. Uh, definitely print that out. It's a very simple, basic text document. You just print that out. And there's, they've got a really good wiki. They've got really good forms with very helpful people. I mean, it's a very friendly, uh, nice forum. Very experienced users, but very welcoming of, of new users and, you know, new to Arch Linux and just new to Linux and everything. And, and uh, very helpful. It's a really great forum. Um, and, and so anyway, when you go to install Arch Linux, what you want to do is download, you'll see a couple ISO images. Their current release, as I'm recording this, is called Duke, and it's like 0.8, and it's sort of nicknamed Duke. And there's a couple types of ISO images you can download. There's a regular full-fledged ISO image, which is five 600 megabytes, which has sort of a base plus some additional packages sort of, you know, to get you, you know, pretty much up and running. Uh, there is also a, a just a, a, a slimmer base in ISO. Uh, and that's the one I generally use. In fact, let me see here. There's a there's 550 megabyte Arch dash point uh, 0 0.8 ISO contains the whole current package repository at the time of release. So it's basically got everything that's in the current repository. And I'll talk about the repositories in a minute. Uh, there's a smaller ISO uh, called base.iso, which is 150 megs, which just gives you the base system plus kernels and a few other miscellaneous things. And there's even a really teeny tiny ISO image, which is really just used for FTP installs. But what I would recommend is that you do the base.iso, which is the 150 megabyte ISO image, and download that and burn that to a CD. And then boot. Um, and again, have the installation guide printed out and follow along. Uh, a couple, you know, uh, tips and tricks for the install that I'll talk about next. Uh, it's it's fairly straightforward. It is somewhat manual. Uh, you will need to. It has an option to automatically partition your hard drive if you want, or you can manually partition your hard drive. You know, when you run the setup program. Uh, and it will run CF disk. I mean, you can just, it'll drop you to a command line and give you CF disk, which is sort of the, you know, command, uh, I don't, not, not command line, but it's, a, you know, a text-based partitioning tool. Very simple. I mean, you'll see your free space. You just go to it and tab to new to create a new partition, enter the size, and you just create your partitions manually. Uh, and then when you're done with that, you quit and it will take you back to the, to the installation. It's a text-based installer, kind of like Slackware. Uh, but if you take it step by step, uh, you'll get it installed uh, without really much problem. A couple of, of things that I've run into that just to kind of give you a, a heads up, when you get to the part uh, about system configuration, this is, is basically you'll prepare the hard drive, you'll set your mount points for your swap and for your root partition and all of that, you'll select packages, and if you're just doing the base ISO, you just select, it only gives you the base category. So you do that, you, you select all packages, do the install, and then once the packages are installed, it'll take you to the configure system stage. And at this stage, it will give you the option to review a bunch of, uh, of its uh, system initials, initialization scripts. Uh, the main initialization script for Arch Linux is slash etsy slash rc.conf. And that's very similar to the BSDs. The BSDs have a single configuration file just like Arch Linux does. 
and you will need to de- definitely take a look at this at this file and make some manual edits before you're finished with the install because in the slash etc slash rc.conf file is where you will find your network settings whether you want dhcp or static ip if you need to set the uh, default router you need to do that it has some default numbers in there but they're more than likely not correct um, I know on my network, I have different internal IP addresses, so I've got to go into that file before I finish the install and manually edit the settings. Um, you can, you, it's well commented. Uh, you just kind of follow along, and it tells you what to do. So, for example, for the network settings, when you get to the network interface, ETH0, it will say something like, put, quote, DHCP if you just want DHCP, or put, quote, and then your network settings if you want static, like, for example, the IP and then the broadcast address and you know stuff like that. It gives you an example, and you just use the example to enter in your own settings. And then you'll want to enable the, the, the gateway if you're using static IP and uh, save that file. And a couple of the other text files during system configuration you'll want to take a look at uh, you know, might include um, the resolve.conf file if you need to set your DNS uh, host names, uh, servers, and stuff like that. You just need to kind of take a look through all those files and don't just accept the, you know, the all the default settings. Uh, but once you uh, do that, it uh, then asks you to install the kernel, and it will do that automatically. Very cool, works really well. And then you'll install the bootloader, and that's it. And then you'll reboot into a fresh Arch Linux install. Now, it's going to be a very base system. I mean, nothing is installed other than the base. I mean, there's no Xorg, there's no desktop environment, nothing. So then you'll want to get used to the uh, package manager for Arch Linux. And this is where I'll talk about some of the repositories and things. Arch Linux uses a package manager called Pacman, P-A-C-M-A-N. And it's unique. Uh, and if, I mean, there are a couple other distributions have taken and used Pacman since Arch Linux, but I think this is, a, this is an Arch Linux creation. And it's a very nice package manager. It's very similar to apt-get or any of those. Um, basically, once you reboot and you'll come to a command prompt, you enter, you log in as root, and during the install, you could set the root password. So you log in as root uh, and type in your root password. Uh, the very first thing you'll want to do is make sure your network is up. So I would do if config and make sure your network is, is up and running, that your you know network interface has an IP, and I would ping you know, a website to make sure you've got a network connection. Just type ping google.com or something and see if it comes back, like, you know, packets come back. You can, you know, confirm that your network is up and running. And if it's not, you just, I would just stop right there and edit slash etsy slash rc.conf and double check your network settings in that file. And uh, when you save that file, once you make uh, changes to your network settings, you can type slash etsy slash rc period d slash network restart um, the the arch linux um, sort of system configuration scripts to start and stop services are not located in slash etsy slash init period d like debian based distributions but instead like slackware it uses slash etsy slash rc period d so slash etsy slash rc period d slash Samba, for example, start, stop, or restart, or whatever. So for there's a script in there called network that will start or stop or restart your network. So you would make your changes to etsy slash rc.conf, do slash etsy slash rc period d slash network restart, and that will restart your network. Now, once you've got your network set up, you'll want to 
update the system, just to update the base packages that were installed off the CD. And I should pause right there. When you did the install, at one point it asked you to select, you know, your closest mirror. So uh, that's for, you know, setting um, the the Pac-Man settings uh, where it will, you know, it'll, it'll, you can select where you want to have Pac-Man download packages, kind of like using, you know, sources.list in Debian-based distributions, same idea. There's the Arch's setup is a little bit different, but during the install, just select a, a mirror that's close to you. And then now when you're back at the command prompt after install and reboot, you would type the following Pac-Man space dash capital S and then a lowercase y and a lowercase u. And that will synchronize with the different repositories and then update all the packages on the system. Now, the repositories for Arch Linux, it's a little bit different. They have uh, several separate repositories. It's sort of like Ubuntu, where you have you know main and then universe and multiverse and whatnot. Same idea. They have um, current, which is sort of the base uh, repository with all the basic packages, all your standard stuff. They've got extra, which is, of course, extra packages. They've got two optional repositories called unstable and testing, and those are not normally used. Those have, obviously, as you can tell, unstable packages and testing packages, sort of like Debian with Debian unstable and Debian testing. Same idea. There's also a community repository. So the repositories I use are current, extra, and community. I think that's right. There might be one other one. Um, but all the all the configuration of your repositories are located in slash etsy slash pacman period d. You'll see files in there for the different repositories and a list of mirrors in each one of those files that you can comment or uncomment depending on which mirror you want to use. So you can use different mirrors for current versus extra repositories if you want. I always use the same mirror, but um, if you go into slash etsy slash pacman period d, that's where you'll see all the different mirrors. Uh, so Pac-Man space dash S, capital S, small y, small u, will update your entire system. And I think the first time you run, it needs to update Pac-Man itself. So you would do that, and then you'd rerun it again to update all your other packages. And now I just did a, a fresh install of Arch in a virtual machine, and the base install was like 90-something megabytes off the CD. And then I rebooted, and I did Pac-Man dash capital S, small y, small u, and it downloaded an additional 63 megs of packages or, you know, updates. So it's not a huge update, but you can see it's all, I mean, those are big files if you don't have broadband connection. Uh, now, once you've done that, you've got your base system all installed and updated. I would go ahead and reboot because I think there was a new kernel uh, as part of that. And when you come back to the command line, then you can start configuring your system. And this is where Arch Linux really shines because you have a small install at this point, 150, 200, you know, a couple hundred megabytes, that's it. It's kind of like a Debian net install, and it's probably even smaller than that. But now you can start installing stuff. You can install Xorg, you can install KDE, you can install GNOME, and a lot of those type packages have sort of meta package names. So you don't need to, you don't need to do Pac-Man-S, which is to, to install, um, and then a bunch of different KDE names. You can just do Pac-Man-S KDE, and that will install KDE. Whenever you want to install a package and you want to update your package list, and you know, sort of like apt-get update, the equivalent of that would be Pac-Man-S small y, and you know, leaving off the U. The U means upgrade. 
So normally I would do Pac-Man space dash capital S small Y and then my package name that I want to install because it will then synchronize and update the package lists and then download that package and install it and, and resolve dependencies if needed. Um, I should have said that a minute ago. Yeah, Pac-Man resolves dependencies and it works really well. And uh, there's some great information in the wiki on how to set up, you know, how to get Arch Linux configured for the desktop. Uh, it's all manual. I mean, again, when you install Xorg, you've got to manually create an, an xorg.conf file. You can run, you know, xorg space dash configure, and that will create one for you. And then you could test it out and, and, and move it over to slash Etsy slash X11 and rename it to xorg.conf. And, uh, but then you've got to, you know, make manual changes, uh, to, uh, other files as, as needed. For example, if you install Fluxbox and you want to run Fluxbox, well then as your normal user, you need to edit the dot X RC file and insert exec space Fluxbox. And that will start Fluxbox when your normal user types start X. Uh, Arch Linux does not boot into any kind of graphical mode by default. And if you want that, you need to, just like with Slackware and other similar type distributions, you've got to edit slash Etsy slash init tab and uh, change the default run level to four, I think. Uh, I've drawn a blank on that right now, but that's commented in that init tab file. It will tell you what run level will give you a graphical environment. And of course, then you've got to install a login manager like GDM or KDM or whatnot. So, you know, a lot of this is going to take some manual configuration and things like that. And so it does take some time to get set up. It doesn't, you know, hold your hand, as they say, at all. It doesn't automatically configure really anything. Uh, but uh, once it, you know, once it, once you've got the system installed, it's great. Now, a couple other things uh, about administering and maintaining your system. Um, in the slash hc slash rc.conf file, again, that's the sort of the master configuration file. It's got all kinds of stuff in there, your time zone, um, you know, what modules you want to have loaded or specifically not loaded on boot. If you've got a module that conflicts, you can sort of blacklist it there. And at the very bottom of that file, you'll see um, a line, and it's, it, and it's basically an array where you can put in words which which are for services that you want started at boot separated by a space and uh in fact let me i think i'm at my um arch linux box now and i will take a look at that file and tell you what it says here let's see uh daemons okay at the very bottom there's a line that says daemons equals and then parentheses you've got words separated by spaces for example um i'm skipping a few but you've got network uh, SSHD, um, I've added cron D, uh, I've added dbus, hal, hplip, cups, also. Those are all um, services that I want, or daemons that I want started at boot. And so SSHD, for example, is of course the SSH server. So once I install OpenSSH, if I want SSH started on boot, I put it in this daemons line and it will start on boot. If you want to temporarily disable it, on boot, you can put an exclamation point in front of it. And again, this is commented in the file. It tells you exactly what this does. And, uh, and so you basically just list all your daemons or services that you want started on boot and, uh, they will, they will start and it works great. It works really cool. It's uh, very, very nifty. Uh, and something else about Arch Linux is their, um, package build system and their user repository. They've got another website. It's called the AUR. 
Um, and I think it stands for Arch User Repository, if I'm not mistaken. And this is basically a community-run repository of, of scripts that will build packages. It's not a repository of packages, I don't think. I think it's just... Um, well, it, there, this is also the community repository. That's right. I had mentioned there's the current and the extra and the testing. There's also a repository called community. Well, that's run through this AR, AUR site. And so if you enable the community repository, it will download some additional packages, you know, some extra stuff that's maintained by the community. But you can also uh, download some package build scripts. And so very briefly, package build is, is sort of the equivalent of the Slack build script in Slackware that will build a package that can be, be, then be installed and managed by the package manager. Um, I won't get into the details of Arch's um, Arch build system, ABS, but uh, it's definitely something you'll want to read up on in, in the wiki and read up on, on the AUR website because it's very cool. There's some additional packages that are, that are not normally maintained by the community that you can download a tarball that includes a package build and run a script and it will fetch the source code, compile it, and build a package for you. It's very cool and it works really, really great. Um, and it's, it's very simple to use. Uh, so that's definitely something you want to check out as you start getting more advanced and start finding packages that, that you want that are not available in any of the standard repositories for Arch Linux. Uh, so that's, you know, sort of Arch Linux in a nutshell. Um, there's a lot of really great stuff there. Um, I definitely highly recommend people check it out. It's definitely an advanced Linux distribution, and so it's probably not appropriate for people who are just starting with Linux. I would still start with Ubuntu or Fedora or Mandriva or one of the others. But if you start exploring Gentoo and Slackware and some of these other advanced type of Linux distributions, I think Arch Linux should definitely be on your list as, as well as one to check out. It's, it's, I think it's one of the most underrated distributions out there. Um, I guess it's ranked around 20 on DistroWatch, which is not that low. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. But I'm really surprised it's not higher. I think it deserves it. It's a, it's a fantastic uh, Linux distribution. It does great dependency resolution checking. So if you want that, it does it very well. Pac-Man is a great package manager. And uh, what I especially like about it is, like with Debian, you can um, you know download and install just a minimum you know set of packages, a real minimal install, and build from there. That's the way I like to do my distributions. Rather than install everything off the CD or DVD, I like to start you know with just a minimal set and then build exactly what I want. And you can do that with Arch Linux very well. Arch Linux is sort of I've often heard it described as a combination between Slackware and Gentoo, or maybe Slackware and Debian, you know, or Debian and Gentoo. It's somewhere in that range. I mean, it does, it does, it's a lot of binary packages, so you don't have to do a lot of compiling. But if it's not, if a package you're looking for is not in one of the repos, then you will have to do some compiling, either using one of the package build scripts or just completely outside of the package system entirely and just standard, you know, uh, compiling of software. Uh, so it's not as much compiling as Gentoo, but uh, it's somewhere in the middle there. It doesn't have as many packages as Debian. You know, it doesn't have 18,000 packages or whatever Debian has or Ubuntu. But it has a lot of packages and it has pretty much everything you, you need, especially desktop stuff. It's easy to install mPlayer and Codex and Flash plugins and Java and all that jazz. That's just a simple install now, you know, with no problems whatsoever. So 
Uh, it's definitely cool stuff, and check it out and uh, play with it and you know, post in the Arch Linux forums if you have any questions. We've got great folks there who I think would be w- very uh, willing to help out uh, new, uh, new Arch Linux users. So I think with that, we've got a listener tip to get to and then some feedback. First, the tip. Hi, Chess. Uh, my name is Gordon from Scotland. Uh, I'm in the forums as Sebulba. Um, first off, great show. Um, you fill in a, a fantastic niche. Um, it's not easy to find someone who explains basic concepts that they just, you know, that the experts seem to forget that they had to learn sometime as well. So you're doing a fantastic job there. Uh, I've got a couple of simple um, tips for new users. I'm I'm a relatively new user myself. Um, But these are things that are just, it's the small details that count. First of all, in GNOME, I use Ubuntu. In GNOME, the calendar, if you left click on the clock, it brings up a little calendar. Now, you can navigate through that calendar, it's a little widget. Um, You can navigate through that and and click on a date. If you double click on that date, it opens up Evolution at the appointments section of that date, ready to put an appointment in for that. It syncs up with Evolution, which I think is fantastic. The next one is, when you go to rename files, um, in Nautilus, I found in, in Windows, if I wanted to rename a file from, say, mysong.mp3 to yoursong.mp3, when I, cl- when I right-click on it and say rename file, it includes the .mp3 part, which you don't want to change, because if you do, it can get all unstable and whatever. So you've got to either manually go and take that, M- that .mp3 part out of the equation so that you rename only the file, not the file name. Or you have to remember what the file extension was and remember to add it. Now, I've noticed Nautilus, when you, when you do the same thing, it automatically excludes the file extension. So all you have to do is right-click, rename, type the name you want and forget about the file name, it keeps it. So anyway, that's my two tips. Um, They may seem too simple, I don't know. But anyway, I'm going to sign off for now. Um, Great show, and I'll contact you again soon. Bye! Uh, Gordon, those are great tips. I really like those tips a lot. Especially, I've noticed the same thing in Nautilus, where when you go to rename a file, it excludes the file extension, which is, it it is just the little things like that, like you said, that really mean a lot. And I just, I love that. I think that's very cool. So thank you so much for those tips, Gordon. I really appreciate it. Let's check out some listener feedback. Hi, Jeffs. Been listening to your episodes for a while, and I just wanted to say I really appreciate all the hard work you put into them. They're very enjoyable. Secondly, 
Congratulations on your getting O'Reilly Media as a sponsor. I think they suit your podcast really well, and they seem to be a bunch of really quality people. Uh, episode 69 on Vim was something I really appreciated seeing, because uh, Vim's something that's been near and dear to my heart for quite a while. The learning curve for Vim often puts a lot of people off, but if you spend some time with the program and get to think the way it thinks, you find that you can do things in Vim that you just can't do in any other program. If you need to manipulate text, it'll do it. Now, there's two or three things that I think uh, would really help people get to use Vim better. Uh, the first one is Vim Tutor. Anywhere where Vim is installed, you can type Vim Tutor at the command line, and it'll launch Vim in a mode that brings it up in a little tutorial. It takes you about a half an hour to get through it, and it works through all the basics. It's quite good. It's built right in, and it lets you use Vim to learn how to use Vim. Second up, I should point out the vim.org website. It's got lots and lots and lots of info. There's over 1,400 tips on how to use Vim, pages and pages of plugins and add-ons. Really great stuff there. People have been using this program for so long in so many different ways. It's amazing what you can get it to do. Uh, I should point out the Vim mailing list. There's guys on that mailing list like Tony, anybody that's on the list knows him, who provide quality answers to anything you can think of in terms of a question. Lastly, I should point out, not only is Vim available on any Linux box you'll ever find, but there's versions for Windows and Mac as well, and your configuration file, your .vimrc and .vim folders, are portable. So you can use the same one on any computer you sit down at. Matter of fact, I carry mine around on a little USB stick, and wherever you go, you've got the best thing going for text editing. Anyway, thanks again for all your hard work, Jess, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Excellent. Those are, those are some really good points. Um, I had mentioned the Vim Tutor at the very end of the episode last week, and, and I think uh, most people caught it, but some people didn't catch it because I think it was during the, during the exit part of the, of the episode. But, yeah, Vim Tutor is, is a great way to learn how to use Vim. And those other points are very well taken. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned those. And I really hadn't, I'd sort of failed to mention that Vim is available on all those other operating systems. The other neat thing is there's a portable apps version of Vim. Um, and I don't remember if it's on portableapps.org or not, but it's, if you kind of Google for it, you can find it. But it's a, it's a Vim that runs entirely off, you know, you can put it on a USB stick. And so you can have, it's GVim actually. You can have GVim running off of a USB flash stick. And I think I don't remember if that's uh, Windows or Linux or both, but um, I have that on a on a uh, USB flash stick, and it, and it works really well. And I, I do like how you can take your VimRC file um, from op, uh, from operating system operating system and have all your settings and your key bindings and all that kind of stuff. It's great, really great stuff. Uh, excellent audio comment. Thank you. Uh, here's an email from Sean. Sean says, "Hey Chess, I've been listening to your podcast since I heard about it on the Linux Link Tech Show." And I've been amazed at how easy some things can be explained. I've been using Linux since about 2004 when I started using Mandrake 10.0 and started using Ubuntu when it came out. I now use Kubuntu, and I doubt that I will turn back to Windows at this point. Your Vim episode couldn't have come at a better time, as I recently decided to start toying around with Vim, namely to work on my private website and some web-based tools that I'm wanting to make. Listening to the show taught me plenty to get started, and I've started re reading the user manual uh, to learn even more about it. Thank you for making such a wonderful podcast, and I hope to hear many more from Sean. Thank you very much, Sean. Uh, I'm glad to hear so many people sent me emails about Vim. It was great to get all that awesome feedback. Here's one from Paul. Paul says, Hi, Chess. As I've very much enjoyed your review of Linux distros in the past, I was hoping that you would 
going to soon do a review in Dream Linux. That would be nice. I hope you are well, and as always, I'm eagerly awaiting each new episode. I'm Apollo in the forums, and if you remember, I introduced Edubuntu with Gconferous and Child's Play into my son's child care center. Yes, I certainly do remember. That is going well, and the staff seem to be enjoying it as much as the children. Thanks for all your encouragement and hard work. Have a great day. Kindest regards from Paul. Thanks very much, Paul. Um, yeah, I have never tried Dream Linux, uh, but I've heard good things about it, so that's one I'll have to check out here soon. Here's one from Joe. Joe says, I was wondering if you could talk about how many boxes you have set up with what on them and what you use them for. Also talk about your server's physical specs. Thanks so much. Love the show. Wow. Um, <laughs> all right, let's see here. Um, I've got uh, my two main workstations are both Dells. I actually have a lot of Dells here. I've got a Dell Optiplex GX620. It's a Pentium D 64-bit machine, 2 gigs of RAM with two 160 gig SATA hard drives in it. I bought it off the Dell uh, outlet, you know, off their website for like $500. I, I swear, that's a great place to get good computers is the outlet center on the Dell website. You can get really good stuff there for pretty cheap. Um, and that machine, that's the Arch Linux machine that runs Arch Linux all the time. It does have a couple other things, dual boot with it. I think I've got uh, OpenBSD and... Debian, maybe I forget, uh, but it pretty much running Arch all the time. And then I have another Dell. It's a Dell Dimension, I think. I can't remember. I can't see it from here, from where I'm sitting. But it's a Pentium Four machine with a gig of RAM and a 60 gig hard drive. That's my Slackware machine. And uh, let's see, that doesn't do it with anything. That has Slackware that's been upgraded from 10.0 to 12. Or 10.1 to 12. I forget one or the other. Let's see. I've got a... One of my servers is a Pentium 3 500... No, 750 megahertz. That's like a 10-year-old machine. And that thing... That's another Dell. And that's awesome. I love that machine. Um, I've got... Let's see. I put additional RAM in it. So I've got 700 and... What is it? 784? I forget. Whatever 512 plus 256 is. So I guess that's right. Um, and that's I have a hardware RAID card in there, and I've got two 250-gig SATA drives in there on a hardware RAID, RAID 1, so they're mirrored RAID drives. That's my primary storage server. It's also a print server and a music server. That's running Debian Etch. And then I have another server upstairs, and that's a print server only. That's running Slackware as well, Slackware... 10.2, I believe. I have that little Socris machine I talked about, which is a little embedded board. That's my router. That's running OpenBSD. I have uh, three laptops. Two of them are ThinkPads. One's an X40 and one's a T42. And both of those triple boot stuff, They, I, I can't remember which is on which, but they one's got FreeBSD, OpenBSD, and Slackware. And the other one has... FreeBSD and Arch Linux and Debian. I think that's right. And then I've got another laptop that my wife, my wife uses. It's a Dell 700M that has Ubuntu, Feisty Fawn. And then we also have an iMac, a G4 iMac. And we have an old uh, G3 iBook that's, I don't know, six, seven years old. And that really doesn't run anything. I have Ubuntu on that or Debian uh, on that, but it, we don't really use it very much. 
And I think that's everything. I had another machine or two. I had a, uh, well, I have a Mythbox, which is a Pentium 4, um, sort of a no-name machine that I put together. But I've had some issues with it, so I've taken it down. I'm not using it at the time being, and I need to fix it and reinstall Myth. It wasn't a Myth problem. It was a hardware problem, and it was just a machine that really wasn't working well. I had a bunch of random pieces in there that just weren't quite working. So that's basically, I guess, I think that's all my machines. I might be forgetting one. Oh, and then, I, well, my VPS, my, my off-site server runs Debian Etch, and that's what the Linux Reality website's on. All right, last email here is, um, gosh, I don't have the name for this one. I apologize. This one says, Hi, Chess. I thank you for your efforts in educating the public on Linux. I've been studying Linux since a techie friend turned me on to it a year ago. I can't work in my trade anymore and found I have an interest in computers. In the last year, I have really taken off with Linux. Ubuntu is it. I fool around with others but don't have the knowledge to build certain things. I use Ubuntu on all my laptops, which are Panasonic CF48s and one Gateway 1200. I have five laptops and two desktops to learn with. I want more, but I'm running out of room. I listen to your show all the time and download them to a special folder to listen to over and over again to help me understand Linux better. It's my best teaching tool. I hope someday I can send a contribution to your work, but I have since fallen below poverty level and out of work. I have plenty of time to study, and your show, when I find a connection, is what has helped me the most. Thank you, Gnome Rocks. Thank you very much. That's a very nice email. And don't worry about sending a contribution. Um, I'm just glad that you're able to listen and learn from it. And I just realized before I wrap up here, I forgot, I forgot a box. I forgot my slug. I can't believe I forgot my slug after doing a whole episode on it. Yes, I also have an NSLU2 running Debian, and that is my local IMAP mail server. And it's also another music server, and it uh, is my DNS server. I think that's right. I think I have got one or two other things on there. but uh, Oh, it's also it's sort of a backup server. Uh, I was using backup on my other machine, but um, on my other server, but now I've moved that to the slug. So, all right, I think that's it. Enough rambling um, by me. It's time to wrap it up for this week. Okay, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed that little discussion of Arch Linux. And if any um, Arch users are out there, forgive me if I made any mistakes. I love Arch and I've been using it for several years and any mistakes are mine and are unintentional. But uh, I definitely encourage people to check out Arch if you have any interest whatsoever in trying one of those more advanced uh, Linux distributions. Slackware and Arch are two, two of the best. They're two of my favorites, and I just I, I love them both. So I uh, hope that uh, piques your interest enough to check it out. Let's see. Feel free to send me email to linuxreality at gmail.com. Of course, you can send me audio comments as a, as a you know, just as an attachment, an AUG file or an MP3 to the same email. Or you can use the uh, Gizmo or e- Gizmo account or any of the listener hotlines. All that information is on linuxreality.com slash contact. And please keep that feedback coming, especially the audio comments. Uh, I love getting the audio stuff. So just take a few minutes and send me and just call me using a regular phone, using one of the listener hotlines or your cell phone or your computer with the Gizmo account. Many ways to get a hold of me. We've also got the forums, linuxreality.com slash forums and the IRC channel. Uh, hash Linux Reality on irc.freenode.net. I think that's going to do it for this week. I don't know if you heard the phone ringing in the background, but it rang a couple times while I was recording. I think that's my wife. Um, so I should probably go return that call before I get in trouble. 
Hope you all have a great week and a great weekend, and take care, everyone. Catch you next time. This has been Episode 70 of Linux Reality. See you later. Bye-bye.